Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So good to have you here with us today on episode 316. Got a great show for you today as we are continuing this awesome series highlighting student success stories from here within the Speaker Lab. So far, we've talked with a variety of different students. If you've missed any of those, make sure you go back, you check them out later. But for now, Keep listening to this episode because the doctor is in. What do I mean by that? Well, today I'm joined by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who speaks to organizations on how to rev up and engage their team without burning them out. And so if you've ever considered the possibility of changing careers from a great full-time job to being a professional speaker, you're definitely going to want to take notes on this one. You see, Sandra uh, is a full-time speaker as of 2019, but before that, she actually put in 20 years of clinical practice as a doctor. In the first 10 minutes, you're going to hear her talk about about why she landed on speaking after considering other avenues of income outside of her practice. Also really enjoyed hearing how she worked through her transition to virtual events in 2020 because of COVID. So make sure you listen in for that as well. A lot of good stuff here in this conversation. Let's get right into it. Here is Speaker Lab student, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are joined by Miss Sandra Dalton-Smith. We're going to be talking about her speaking journey and uh, the little part that the Speaker Lab has played along the way. So, Sandra, thanks for hanging out with us today. We appreciate it. Why don't you start by kind of giving us a little snapshot here of uh, who do you speak to, what do you speak about, and how does speaking fit into your overall world? Because I know speaking is just one part of, uh, of what it is that you do. Yes, absolutely. Well, I started off as an internal medicine physician. And I would probably say the majority of my time was spent in patient care until about five years ago, I really got this feeling that some of the things I was writing about and doing research on needed to reach a larger audience. And that's where speaking stepped into the game for me. It was a way of really getting in front of more people with the topic that I share about, which is burnout and work-life integration. Specifically, I tend to talk a lot with companies. So when people are having employees that are less engaged, that are less effective, and they're looking to find ways to really rev up their team, not hire new people, not try to convince the ones they have that they just need to be more motivated, but actually give them some actionable tips on how to be more resilient through using some of the techniques that I call uh, restorative activities or rest. Okay. Very cool. Now, are you, are you speaking full-time? Are you still practicing in the, in your clinic or how, what's the balance like today? Well, that's the interesting part of the story. I transitioned out of medicine into full-time speaking. Wow. I did 20 years of clinical practice and December 19th of 2019, I transitioned out into full-time speaking. You got out right before the world fell yeah, apart, huh? Before I even <laughs> knew that was going to be a thing. Right. So I only had plans to do some um, telemedicine type practicing because I don't uh -huh. think you ever really get out of medicine. It's kind of a passion. 
but yeah, out of that traditional day-to-day clinical practice. Wow. Very cool. So you're full-time speaking all in. Mm-hmm. Very I'm cool. Speaking now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing yep. when all of this happened, but and I want to talk some about that that pivot and transition. So let's go back for a second here. So you're you're practicing uh, in your clinic and you're seeing patients on a daily basis. Uh, are you enjoying the work? Is it tiring? Is it uh, uh, like you mentioned that part of what you speak on is the work life balance? So I'm assuming that you were you were struggling to find kind of your own balance there, which kind of led to maybe wanting to teach others about that. So what was it like for you, kind of pre speaking world in in the clinic? Well, pre-speaking world, about 10 years into practice, I started to burn out. And so I went through the whole burnout phase and then trying to discover what are some ways to improve from that. And most of the research out there at the time was very limited. People would tell you, well, just stress less, manage your stress, get more rest. And it's like, well, what does that mean? I think most of us, we hear the word rest and we think cessation of activity. We're just going to sit still somewhere. And that doesn't work. We've tried it. And I think that's what took me down the line of the research that I did, looking at, are there different types of rest? Are there different ways to improve this? And so then after I was able to kind of get my own life back on track, I didn't really notice it, I think, as much before then, maybe because it was my own situation I was walking through. But how many people were coming into my medical practice? And that was their number one complaint. I'm tired. Hmm. And all the tests were normal. And they were getting decent amounts of sleep. And it was really that they just didn't realize they had these rest deficits. And um, once I started seeing how many people it affected, I think that's what really pushed me to start making that change. You know, personally, I got to a place where even within my practice, I didn't feel burned out anymore. Yeah, I could still see, you know, a couple hundred people a week and it felt good because I'd learned ways of staying restored despite having a very busy schedule. I think that's the key for most of us. We can't just drop our jobs all the time. You know, we have to stay busy. And honestly, I'm probably busier now than I was when I was in clinical practice, uh, surprisingly, because you, you, you think because you're at home or you're away from that nine to five, but I actually am busier now and I still don't feel burnt out because of just learning how to integrate things better. Interesting. Okay. So, so not only was it you yourself experiencing some of the burnout and some of the fatigue, but also noticing it in your patients. And I've, my understanding is also just in the medical profession in general, the rates of burnout and stress are incredibly high, maybe perhaps higher than what normal or other industries may be. Um, so it sounds like you're seeing it not just for yourself, not just for colleagues, but for patients. And it's just kind of like, okay, this is, this is not a Sandra issue. This is a human issue uh, across yeah. the board. So I'm curious then from that point to go from, okay, I'm recognizing here here's this issue that I'm dealing with that other people are dealing with. And I would love to help other people. And I'd love to help more than just the one-on-one daily patients that I'm interacting with. And there's a lot of different ways you can go about doing that, whether that's, you know, a podcast or a book or a course or, you know, any number of things that you could do. So why speaking? What, why did you land on speaking as a, as the, here's the best way for me to help other people beyond just this, this private practice? Well, I did all the things. I did the book, the course, and speaking. But I found speaking to be the best way because I could get in front of more people faster. So I could teach a course somewhere, or I could even do an online course or write a book, which I did all of those things. But then you're, you're still trying to get it in front of people. And what I noticed was, particularly if you have a message that you're sharing that's unique, that's different, that's timely, that's touching on someone's pain point and giving them a solution they've never thought about or thinking about it in a way that for them is like, whoa, that that never crossed my mind. They start telling people. 
And so, whereas, you know, people would read the book and maybe share it with a friend, I would go and speak at one event and get like four events from it because someone would say, you have to hear this. I've never heard of seven types of rest. And it ended up into this almost like snowball effect. One event would end up being a few podcast interviews, or it would end up being a, a TV interview or something else. And it just kind of continue to pick up on itself. And I didn't see that as much with other things as I did with speaking. And I think it's because people get to feel your energy. They get to see mm -hmm. what you're like in person. They get to ask their questions. It's just a very different time compared to some of the other ways you can connect with people. Yeah, very true. So it sounds like a couple of things that you said there. One is that we tell speakers all the time that speaking is very much a momentum business. And so you said each speaking gig was leading to some other opportunities, whether that be other gigs or um, uh, other interviews or other things that were leading to ways that you could help uh, spur your message on and share it with other people. But the other thing in, in order to, to do a gig that leads to other gigs is your initial gig has to be good. Like you have to do a great job <laughs> on stage. So what were those early gigs like for you as far as like, I, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm, I am passionate about this message, but you can be really, really passionate and not be a great communicator. So how are you finding, uh, how are you, how are those early presentations for you? Did you feel like, man, this is really working well? Did you feel like it took me a little bit to find my rhythm or what, what was that like for you? I think it took, took a little time. For me, what I ended up doing, I started off small. I think sometimes we want to go for the big guns kind of too soon before right. we've actually got our gift intact to attack, to attach it right. to those type of opportunities. So I started off with doing like just small things, maybe meeting with a group of nurses or a community college or these places that were local where I could try out some material, test out the water, see what resonated with people. I love that face-to-face, -face, you know, virtual is a little bit different. It's hard to gauge mm -hmm. engagement, but face-to-face, -face, you can see when you connect with somebody, you can see kind of the bells and whistles go off right. when you reach on something that really just kind of struck them. So I, that's what I did. I got in front of as many people as I could, accepted whatever they were willing to pay or could pay at the time. Because I think for myself, I knew the information I had was great. I needed to get my skill talent on in front of people. I need to get comfortable in my own skin. What does my face do when I say certain things? Right. Am I smiling? Am I not smiling? Does my voice sound harsh? There's so many parts to speaking that we don't think about and you can't think about when you first start because it'll overwhelm you. Yeah. So you start small. You start off with what's my body language like and you right. work on that the first couple of times or what's my delivery like or what's my material like and you just keep adding on to it until you get a package that that resonates overall, that it's, the whole thing looks professional. So I want to take a step back for a second. Whenever you are uh, going, okay, I, I, I have this message. There's a lot of ways that I could help people. I've been trying a lot of ways. Uh, speaking is the thing that I want to do. What do you do from there? Like, where do you go from that point? Because you're, you're kind of going, I, I don't know what I don't know. Were you uh, like being uh, invited to do a couple things just within your, within your, your practice, your clinic, or some of the contacts or connections you had? Or how did those first couple of gigs start? Like what, what, what gets no, the ball I, rolling? I knew no one and had no connection. And honestly, that's how I, I ran into you. <laughs> I, had a, I was mentioning this to a friend. I was working on a book at the time. And I was, that was one of our conversations. I stated, you know, how do I start this? How do I really get to the point where I'm starting my speaking career and can, can not just always be kind of speaking for free, but even finding paying opportunities. And she mentioned your podcast. And I thought, okay, well, 
you know, at the time I really wasn't listening to anybody's podcast. I was too busy to listen to podcasts. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take a listen to this one. And you did a couple of webinars and different things. And I got signed up to one of your programs that walked me through some of those very early steps. Um, honestly, some, the, the, I think the thing that really helped me the most get those very first ones was even just doing as, as, as crazy as it sounds when I, when I heard you say that, I was like, that's not going to work. Um, but kind of Googling some of the associations sure. and these different things and just finding out what was mm -hmm. out there. I was amazed at how often that actually ended up with a positive response or an open door or an opportunity. Right. So you, you start going through some of our training and you start reaching out to a couple of different people. Uh, and one of the things that you mentioned was that early on, you're just trying to get at bats and get reps and mm -hmm. like, I'll speak for free. I'll speak to whoever. Uh, so how are you, how are you balancing it of, I'm trying to build the speaking business. And my guess is you're, you're doing a lot of, a lot of free speaking or, or low paid speaking. Uh, and you can only do so much of that because at the same time, right. you're also a full-time physician and you have a full-time practice. And the irony, of it all is you're speaking on balance and yet you have a lot going on. So how are you figuring out which ones to speak at, which ones to not speak at? How are you building one business while maintaining the other? What, what does that kind of phase of life look like? Well, that's when the integration came in because I started to look at, okay, well, I'm going to have this day that I'm going to set aside that I'm going to be able to do different events. And so when I would pitch myself, particularly to local opportunities that are in my area, I would say, this is the day that I'm available to, let's say, come to your hospital and speak to your nursing team about work-life integration. And so I looked at my market, my particular market with healthcare, lots of hosp hospitals, a lot of home health care agencies, a lot of places to be able to give that talk with people that I'm familiar with and know their lifestyle so I could talk kind of more directly to them. And I know that most of them do these types of things on Thursdays, Wednesdays or Thursdays. So I picked one of those days to be the day that I would be off clinic. And that's when I would offer myself to do that. And so I will always try to make sure I have two kids. And so I needed to be able to pick them up by three o'clock when school was out. So I would always make sure to offer to do it either as grand rounds, which is normally somewhere between eight and 10 a.m. or at a lunchtime, um, as they call lunch and learns, so that I knew I would have time to get back home. And then I would honestly look at the, look at the map, like how far out can I yeah. go and be back in time <laughs> to get my kids if I went to these different locations. And that's how I started pitching out from there. That's amazing. That's so, so cool. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps that help me to grow a seven figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step -step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. All right. I have so many questions for you. So one thing I'm curious about is 
uh, with a message like work-life balance and you found early on that like, okay, this is a human problem. This is a human challenge. And so you could hypothetically speak to anybody and everybody. And you've heard us talk a lot about, please don't do that, right? You want to narrow it down, <laughs> focus. So you're in your backyard is, is the, uh, the medical practice and, and the, the healthcare industry, a world that you're already very, very familiar with. And so mm -hmm. even though you probably could expand to more markets and more opportunities, uh, you decided to start there. Now, there's a lot of obvious reasons, but for other people, they sometimes we, we talk with speakers who say, all right, here's a world that I'm familiar with, but I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of being in the clinic. I want to go speak to other people, right? So ultimately, how did you decide to say, no, no, you know, I could focus on others, but I'm going to focus on healthcare and the medical industry for now. How did you land on that? Because it was easy. Yeah. You know, these were people I could talk their language. I didn't have to kind of figure out, like now I do speak to corporations and I go into companies and talk about employee engagement, employee health and all these other things as it relates to resilience and the topic I talk about, work-life integration. But I had to kind of learn how it fits into those markets. And so that took work and energy I didn't have at the time. So I needed to be able to speak to people who I didn't have to guess what their day-to-day -day was like. I didn't have to guess how my message could help them. So when I was speaking to, let's say, the education coordinator at a hospital, I didn't have to think, think like, oh, now what am I going to have to say to her to make her want to have me? I right. knew what to say to her. I knew what her pain points were um, easily. And so we could have like a real conversation. Um, she could tell me things that I could automatically relate back to and give examples of how my talk would help because I was living it. Yeah. And I think sometimes we make it too hard. We try to go to places that we really haven't gained enough education and knowledge to be able to speak into that audience. You know, now when I go into corporations, I spent time looking at the corporation before I even show up at their door. Uh, you know, uh, honestly, I'm not doing those for free, obviously, but I spend part of that that they're paying me includes my time diving into their their groups what it is that they need me to come and share about i didn't have time to do that then that's no so so important yeah that's so <laughs> important though because like like you like you were even as you're kind of describing it before you said i knew that they're making their rounds from 8 to 10 a.m and i know that they have uh you know days available on wednesdays and thursdays like just that insider knowledge that you have from the beginning, that just makes it so, so much simpler for you to get going there versus like, like you said, trying to go to a totally different uh, industry or organization or company and trying to just learn their, like a whole new system over there versus here's a world that you already know. So I'm curious, you're, you're starting to do some speaking, you're doing probably a mix of free things and some, uh, some low fee things. At what point are you starting to transition to, no, no, if I'm going to take this seriously, then I have to start, I have to start charging more. I have to start saying no to opportunities because my guess would be in the medical profession as in any profession or in, as in any industry, there's no shortage of free opportunities for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's also going to be some where it doesn't matter how great you are. They're not going to pay you to come talk to five nurses uh, on their break. So how are you making the transition to I need to get paid for this. I need to get start to get paid well for this in order for this to make sense. But I also have to find the right opportunities where uh, being paid and being paid well is a viable option there. So how are you starting to navigate that, uh, that transition? Well, for me, I started to look at what amount of income am I losing as a physician, not in my practice? Hmm. Because that was the transition that I was looking at. If I'm transitioning out of medicine, I know I can make XYZ amount of money technically per hour seeing XYZ number of patients. And 
you know, not really knowing at the time if speaking could even pay that, you know, to even how many speaking, you know, gigs does it take to, to make a six figure salary, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, I don't even know what that's going to look like. And so for myself, what I started with as I started kind of just putting feelers out there. So uh, when I first got started, it was kind of like, hey, would you like to have you come talk to your group? And so I'm kind of getting my wings up under me and figuring all of these things out. And those were kind of the local places that, that were easy. You know, it was within a 30-minute drive. So they yeah. knew me to some degree. And then as I started kind of reaching out to places that were like maybe two, three hours away, places that wouldn't necessarily know my name, then I started adding on extra things to it. You know, as, in other words, it's like, if you'd like to have me come do this training session for your staff on physician wellness, and I would have a fee of what the speaking fee would be and what would be included and, you know, how I would lay it out. And I started off with kind of sending an email to get to gauge some interest. And then once I gauged some interest, then I would follow up with that with a phone call, which is something you <laughs> kind of emphasize to get that personal part in there. Right. And I have to admit, that's scary stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's scary stuff. Calling people are, and honestly, they're saying that they want to have the conversation most of yeah. the time, you know, when you're setting up the call. But for those of us who don't really feel like we know how to sell, you know, getting on this call is like, oh my, here we go. We're going to have to negotiate <laughs> fees and all this stuff. But, I, but it wasn't like that. Yeah. It was just like, what, well, what do you think you can offer? And then you share what you can offer. And they're like, oh, well, do you think that you could talk about this? And most of the time it was things you could talk, I could talk about, but I wasn't automatically just mentioning that because but what they would do is they would voice their need directly. And then you can make your talk even that much more, you know, significant for them because of those conversations. So it was just, it was a great kind of transition of looking at how to make that happen. So early on for you, as you are, you're doing a few speaking gigs here and there, even prior to that, you're going, I have this message. I want to help people. Speaking is a option. It's not the only option, but it's a option. I'm starting to do a few gigs here and there. At what point are you thinking about maybe this could be a full-time thing? Because like you alluded to, uh, physicians make good money. And so mm -hmm. replacing a physician salary is uh, no small feat. And so it, you, you got to do a lot of gigs for that math to start to make sense. At what point are you starting to see like this could be a viable thing you know that I'm sure you and there's parts of it you enjoy being in the clinic and and uh, parts that maybe you miss and parts that you're like I wouldn't mind leaving that and going all in on speaking so how long into your speaking journey were you thinking about making that transition to, to full-time well I've been speaking probably for about seven years before it really kind of dawned on me honestly because I was saying no to some things that logically I probably shouldn't have said no to Hmm. But I was saying no to because I couldn't figure out how to make that fit easily into my life. Because, you know, when you're in practice, you've got patients, you've got hospital duty, you've got a lot of different stuff going on. And I had this day that I kind of had set aside, you know, like I said, Wednesdays and Thursdays that I would do certain things. But, you know, some opportunities require that you travel long distances where you need like two full days just right. to kind of get there, get situated, especially West Coast before you can even, you know, so it would end up being like a week long event, <laughs> just because fly there, get situated, yep. do the talk, you know, actually stay afterwards and talk to people after the talk, and then fly home. There's so many days that have been missed. And these opportunities, when I started looking at the ones that I was saying no to, 
ones where it wasn't as if I was reaching out necessarily to them, but maybe they heard me on, you know, a podcast or they saw the, an article written about me in Fast Company or they, or some of these things where people were starting to, to hear about me. They, they weren't asking me what my fees were. They were kind of more along the lines of, hey, we have this event and we're paying this amount of money. And some of the amounts were like nothing I'd ever even thought to ask anybody for. Yeah. And that's when it was like, and a couple of those, my husband's like, you tell, you find somebody to take your shift. At the hospital. <laughs> you pay somebody to take your shift at the hospital if necessary. But it, cause it didn't make any sense to not do those opportunities anymore. So on that vein though, how did you kind of figure out pricing early on? So you're, you're doing some free things and then you're transitioning to, I, I, I can't do all the free things. And so uh, you kind of go from this, you know, amateur phase of like, I'll, I'll take anything you got uh, to, I, I, uh, I'm again, determining whether or not to see patients or to do this mm -hmm. gig. And at some point the math has to make sense. So how are you thinking about your speaking fee uh, and kind of the evolution of that? Well, it started off very low. So when I first started off, I had no clue really what speakers were making. Um, on, I relied heavily. You had a calculator that was mm -hmm. on your website. I think it's still there. Still I there. Yeah. Sometime, um, where I would go on and I plug in the numbers and I move stuff around. And well, what about if this happened? And I get these kind of ranges. Um, that helped me honestly quite a bit to just have some clue. Because uh, one of the questions was like, have you spoken one to like 10 times or 50 yeah. to 100 times? And so I'm clicking these buttons, kind of finding out the idea of what to charge people. Mm -hmm. And so I started off somewhere around the 2,500 range, you know, 1,000, 2,500, depending on the distance. And I did a couple of those for a while and they felt fine. You know, it may have took me two hours worth of, um, you know, travel or something there and back and an hour of talking. So yep. for three hours worth of work, these were all local, remember in the beginning. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, that's not bad for <laughs> three hours of work. Yep. You don't make that with medicine for three hours of work, unless you're a surgeon. So I was like, okay, well, that's making sense as far as the time amount of it. And then when I started looking at, at the traveling, the ones that were going to take me away, I actually started adding in if I was working eight hours this day, how much would I make working? And now I'm going to include that with all the travel, you know, as far as the time away from work. And I started looking at, okay, well, I would normally make, let's say $2,000 in that day if I was working that day. Yeah. I'm going to, that's going to have to be completely recouped in addition to the speaking fee if I'm traveling somewhere. And so I know that sounds kind of, that may sound kind of crazy to someone, but that's the thought I, I yeah. had is that it has to be recouped some way. And so I was amazed, you know, when you first start speaking, it seems irrational almost that someone would pay you like a thousand dollars for an hour's talk. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it seems like irrational. People value information that's beneficial to them. Yep. They value it. And I have had opportunities where honestly with virtual speaking which is basically what all all that i'm doing you know right now with everything that's going on sitting down and have people pay you eight thousand dollars for a 45 minute talk on a zoom i my mind can't even wrap around that yep. that doesn't even make sense you know in my head but when you see the comments from their their all staff meeting where they're all like and they're commenting back and they're writing questions and at the end of that 45 minutes they are still fully engaged and having full-on conversation and your event planner writes back and said 
wow, that exceeded our expectations. They don't even care about the 8,000 they just paid. They got what they needed. They got their team revived. And so that's what I think most speakers don't realize. If you're able to deliver whatever it is you told that event planner you could deliver, they're willing to pay the money to have that result. Come on now, somebody get excited. That's good. Um, <laughs> which again, you kind of alluded to the speaking fee calculator. Uh, so if people want to check that out, again, it's totally free calculator. You can go to myspeakerfee.com, myspeakerfee.com. Again, like you said, answer a couple questions there, a couple different variables you can play with, and then it'll give you a number because speaking fees is much more of, a, of an art than a science. And so, but it gives you a starting point there yeah. to, to get going. So definitely check out myspeakerfee.com. All right, so I want to ask you this. So uh, you are, the speaking business is growing. You're having a ton of success. It leads to December of 2019. You quit your physician job like life is good. We're going into 2020. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, you're a physician. You should have seen this coming. <laughs> right. But, I should have seen this coming somewhere. <laughs> but literally a few months later, the world falls apart. And so uh, how are you thinking about this early on? And I don't know if, if being in the medical profession gave you any type of front row seat to what was happening. But how are you thinking about this where so many speakers are going, my business has just radically changed literally overnight. So what did those few months, what did the, the shift look like for you and the toward the beginning of the year? Well, March was a disaster. Let me just tell you, <laughs> March, I had like, I because I knew I was transitioning into full-time speaking, I had a packed schedule. I'd spent all of 2019 loading up 2020. I mean, I was traveling like every couple of weeks. My husband and I had made plans to do some travels together. We got everything situated so the kids could, you know, do their school stuff. I mean, we had it all laid out. And then in March, the very first week in March, we had this big event. We were going to this international thing I was speaking at in Miami. And all of a sudden, we get an email. The University of Miami says they're not allowing us to have our event because of COVID. We're like, what? (laughs) Like, what's going on? You know, this is like the first week in March. We haven't really even kind of barely know what COVID like is and how it's going to affect our lives. And that just snowballed from there. So I would say from March to April, we spent the bulk of that time moving everything from 2020 to 2021 as everybody was trying to figure out now what let's put it to next year. And at that point, you know, we all, we have our, we have our 50% deposit. So nobody asked for their money back. They all wanted to reschedule. Thank God. So, and then at that point, it's like, now what? Now what are we going to do the rest of the year? And that's when I started to get a couple of people who started to make the request. Do you think you could give this talk, particularly with COVID? Because everybody was exhausted. Yep. Do you think you can give this talk virtually? And I'm thinking, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a people person. I feed off the audience. I want to see faces on the other side of that screen. Yeah. And, you know, when I started to think about that, I was like, especially when it looked like we were never going to be able to get in front of people again, I thought, I've got to figure out a way to do this thing virtually and make it engaging Mm -hmm. and make it interesting and not boring doctor talk. Um, And so that's what I did. I spent about um, a week really looking at how can I take this virtual platform Zoom specifically, Zoom, um, what's it called? Microsoft Teams, the webinar thing, all these different things companies were using that, I, that were contacting me and figure out ways to use these. Do they do, which ones do polls? Which ones allow Q&A, live Q&A? 
which ones allow me to have my face and the PowerPoint up at the same time? Because I don't like looking at the PowerPoint the whole time. Yep. I want my face on the screen. Kind of really learning some of these systems and how to best use them so that when someone asks me, can you do this virtually? Not only could I say, yes, I can do it virtually and give you kind of a, a half luster job of it, but yeah, I can give you an amazing virtual experience where your team and you are not just staring at the screen, but you're actually engaged and you're, you're having fun in the process of learning. And it sounds like, you know, every other speaker, like every speaker has had to just figure it out. And yeah. it, all of a sudden everything has been changed and you can't just sit around and wait for everything to come back to normal. So I'm curious at this point, uh, how have you adapted to virtual? Are you enjoying virtual? Do you see virtual being a part of your business long-term or is it just kind of like, I'm just buying time. This is kind of one of the main, if only options for me at the moment, but uh, I don't enjoy it. I miss being with people. Where do you kind of stand on virtual and how do you see it fitting in long-term for you? I do miss being with people. I, I like that part of speaking. I really do. Um, but I can definitely see, I would have never have thought about doing as much speaking virtually as I am. But honestly, this has probably been my best, my best year as far as booking. And it's all because of virtual. You know, wow. typically if I was scheduling, I would only be able to schedule like one event a week at the most. And I, I per personally only try to schedule about two a month just because I enjoy being with my family and doing other stuff. And so that's the max. Now I can do two virtual a week, you know, yeah. <laughs> and more. it takes exactly an hour, you know, or so to be away from my family. So I, I, it really just allows me to do so much more and still have that time. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, nobody knows what the future holds, but uh, given that you are in the medical profession, I got to ask you, so how do you see this playing out? You know, we are at the time of this recording, we are going into the end of 2020, looking ahead to 2021. Like, when are we going to be back to some sense of normal, especially in the speaking industry for events? Uh, based on what you know in the medical space, well, how do you see this playing out? Well, personally, I have a couple of events, I must admit, that are coming up that are live in October. I have a women's event that's coming up. The thing is, events even now, the ones that are that are bold enough or brave enough to start venturing out it's still very it's very different because mm -hmm. they still have to honor the social distancing the places that will allow you to gather uh, you know you're still having to wear masks or they're recommended for most in most locations even if you're having a meeting or some type of uh, gathering and so i think that may be with us for a while, particularly yeah. since the whole vaccine situation is kind of in the air and if it'll work and should people take it, you know, I think we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have this social distancing and mask and all of those components that we, that are new to our lives, but are becoming our mainstream. I think that's going to be going on for a while, but I do think we're going to be getting back out there. Like I said, I have a couple of events now that have already said we're maxing it out at 200. You know, it may have in the past been able to be like a 400 person event, but now we've got to do every other seat or every, yeah. you know, every third seat or something like that, or every other row. And I think it's important just to, to be aware of that, that, you know, your event sizes may change where you may be used to speaking to audiences of, you know, 500. They may be audiences of 200 for a while just because of trying to maintain the social distancing. 
Yeah, very weird times for uh, for all of us. So, uh, okay, let me ask you this before we wrap up. For someone who's listening right now, who is in the spot where you were several years ago going, I would love to speak, but I don't know what to do and I don't know what I don't know. Uh, and some of it is the, the, the practical next steps of what you're supposed to do, but some of it is also just the internal monologue of do I have what it takes? Am I good enough to be a speaker? Like why should, like you mentioned earlier, like it is ridiculous to think that any of us would pay any amount of money, you know, for someone for, for uh, to have any of us come speak. And, and yet that's, that's the industry that we're in as speakers. So what would you say to that speaker early on in their career? Who's just, who's again, where you were trying to build some of that momentum and get some of that traction. You know what? I, I get asked this question a lot. And the, the number one thing is what is that thing that you have that you want to share? What is that message that you really want to share where you know, if you, if someone heard it, it would change their life. It would improve something. It would inspire something. It would awaken something. It would enlighten them about something. When you get that and you can then, particularly depending on who the event planner are, are or the company is, if you can then show them how that will help improve their bottom line, their overall situation, it's a shoe-in. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right, Sandra, this has been so, so fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? Uh, the best place to reach me would be at drdaltonsmith.com. So drdaltonsmith.com. Awesome. Very good. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.